You're listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. Rick Warren is the founding pastor of Saddleback Church in California. At one time, I don't know if it still is, he was recognized as America's pastor. Uh, Rick Warren wrote um, the book Purpose Driven Life. You may or may not be familiar with that. The only book translated in more languages than, than the Purpose Driven Life is the Bible. <laughs> you also may have seen signs up places that talk about celebrate recovery. Uh, that's also something that came out of Rick Warren's church decades ago. Well, he, here's uh, a quote from Rick Warren about living the Christian life. He says, transformation is a process. And as life happens, there are tons of ups and downs. It's a journey, referring to the Christian walk, it's a journey of discovery. There are moments on mountaintops and moments in deep valleys of despair. And we know that about life in general, don't we? We have good days, we have bad days, we have good seasons, we have bad seasons. You know, I I refer to those more that we have hard days and easy days. We have hard seasons, we have easy seasons. But for the follower of Christ, it doesn't mean that we don't have to navigate the same mountain ranges or valley complexes. But it means that we navigate them differently. All right, so the first way we navigate them differently, I see that there's three advantages, if I can frame it like that, of following Christ in this kind of journey of life. One is that our choices... Our choices should um, create less self-inflicted wounds, all right? So, so David says this in Psalm 119, 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Sin does more than just separate us from God, as if that's not enough. But, but sin puts us in a position where we're operating outside of, of God's Um, design. And whenever you operate outside of God's design, it just comes with its own repercussions, right? And so so for the follow of Christ, I mean, we're perfect, doesn't mean we follow it all correctly. But as, as the word gets down deep inside of us, and that word then protects us as we follow. The second is that we aren't alone in our ups and downs. We're not alone in our hard and in our easy. All right, so, so John chapter 14, Jesus promises, promises us another, and it's interesting, the, the word he uses, the, the word to describe the Holy Spirit, um, one of the ways in which to define that is comforter. So, so we're, we're, we're comforted, we're comforted in our ups and downs, and there's a proverb that says that we have a brother, uh, we have a, a, someone who sticks closer to us than a brother. So there's, there's a sense of not, isn't that what really kind of punches you in the mouth when you go through hard, is this sense of alone. And it doesn't seem to matter who's around you, it, it, we just end up drifting to this place of feeling isolated and separated. And yet for the follow of Christ, we should maintain the position that we're not, we're not alone. The last is we don't have to navigate the ups and downs in our own strength or wisdom. So Jesus' brother tells us in James that if any of you lack wisdom, we should ask and it would be given to us without finding fault. So then that we have not just some um, human wisdom, but that we have his wisdom 
that we can have the mind of Christ. And so with, with all the twists and turns and, and, and um, changes and directions and choices that we have to make sometimes in hard, we don't have to make them on our own. So this morning's text from the Gospel of Mark is insight into another day in the life of Christ, and it establishes for us uh, um, his nature and how he operates, blazes a trail on how to navigate our lives in faith, in faith through a variety of ups and downs. So here's what we'll get today. We'll get an amazing deliverance. We'll get a liberating understanding, and we're going to get a bold challenge. All right? So you can see these coming. Amazing deliverance, a liberating understanding, and a bold challenge. And these spiritual lessons today from Mark about the amazing Christ will equip us to live life in faith. Um, there are th three parties represented in this text. You look for them. Um, I'm, I'm calling this message Faith Party of Three. All right? So here's the text. And I'll give you some context of the text kind of as we go. So, so Micah, just slow down when I slow down. Uh, verse 14, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. All right, so the first context here is Peter, James, John, and Jesus were on what has been dubbed now because of the event, Mount Transfiguration. And here is where Moses and Elijah and Jesus then appear and the best way that I can put it, and it doesn't make any kind of rational sense, but they're glorified bodies. So, so Moses and Elijah show up, Christ joins them in this, and Peter, James, and John are the only witnesses to this. And so the, the only kind of logical sense this makes would be, was, was this was an encouraging time for Christ and a, a, a validating time for those three disciples. Because even as they leave the mountain, Jesus says, don't tell anybody about this. Like someone was going to believe it anyway. Right? But don't, don't, don't tell anybody about this. So, so here, this is the occasion. There's nine disciples down among a crowd. Peter, James, John, Jesus are making their way to them. All right, verse 15. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and they ran to greet him, right? So this is a continual thing we see in the Gospels. When Jesus shows up, people want to be around him, all right? They've been amazed by him or they've been amazed by the stories of him and so they want to be in the presence of him. So just him showing up drew people to him. Verse 16, what are you arguing with them about? <laughs> the only thing that makes sense to me is he's addressing this to his disciples, his nine disciples. Maybe, maybe not, but this is what makes textual sense to me. What, what are you arguing with them about? A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Now, you've got to get into a little bit of the emotion of a father who is at his wit's end. He's frustrated, right? This is something he's been living with with his son since childhood, we'll discover. He's heard about Jesus He's heard about his disciples. He has heard that they cast out demons. He has heard or even witnessed that. He has heard or witnessed 
healing of people. And so his expectation is, if I can get my son to Jesus or his disciples, then it's going to change, right? So his expectations are high, his, born out of his um, desperation, and when it doesn't happen, he ain't, he ain't happy. When Jesus shows up, it's, why couldn't this be done? I, I brought him to you, in essence, I brought him to you by bringing him to your disciples. Your disciples haven't been able to do anything about it, and he is in knots. And Jesus inter intervenes. You unbelieving generation, all indications he's addressing this not to the crowd, but to his disciples. How long shall I stay with you? How long should I put up with you? Bring me the boy. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It's often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the, father, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, semicolon, help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked and convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, the disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this, can, this kind can come out only by prayer. So, Father, in this, in this moment with these three different parties, um, Lord, I believe you are speaking a word to us. And it's going to hit different people different ways. But I pray and ask that you do only what you can do. Not through the words of a man, but through the power of your spirit that you can reveal and you can drive spiritual concepts deep to bring change, not just curiosity. Lord, and I ask you for that now. Amen. So have you identified the three parties? We have the boy. So a boy delivered. We have a father. And we'll see his faith liberated. And then we have the disciples, which we're going to see challenged. So the father clarifies that the condition of the boy uh, has been since childhood. The, the demon had robbed him of speech. Um, and and physically, physically would, would treat the boy in a manner in which to threaten his life. So, so think of the context, which meant then somebody had to be with the boy all the time, right? So dad, mom, brothers, friend, he, he couldn't be left alone because he had, they had no idea when the demon would, would manifest himself in this manner to harm or kill the boy. 
Think about the boy's context. Always wondering when the other shoe was going to drop. How much longer in this day would he be in control? What part of the day would he lose control? You, 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 can, you can see the buildup of the fear that would be represented in that family. So the, this is the last either recorded or the last exorcism that Jesus performs in the Gospels, this one here. Um, and we find that Jesus rebukes the, the demon like last week when he spoke to the wind and then the waves, right? He, he rebukes the wind, stop it. And then he addresses, he addresses the waves, be still, be muzzled, put your bark, put your teeth away. And in this same instance, what we find is Jesus speaks to the demon, he rebukes the demon, and change happens. Um, it's uncomfortable to read stories like this. It always has been uncomfortable for me to read stories like this. Because your first thought is, can that still happen today? Could that happen to me? Is, that's what, is, is that what's going on with so-and-so? I mean, I've been in ministry long enough here and then even overseas to have witnessed this. And it's real. And on your own, it is scary. But I also say that I've, I've encountered many more people that have been oppressed in the manner of addictions and um, depression and other instances that they just can't seem to break free of, right? That they're, 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 they get some relief at some point, but then are, are bound back underneath that. And you can, you can argue, which is always pointless in my opinion, of what the cause of any of this stuff is. What, what, I, what I want you to sit in, though, is in a, in a place of desperation when, when you have no control and something else does. All right, and, that, and that's, where, that's where the boy is when Jesus speaks up. And so the takeaway from, from, this, the, from the boy's story is that Jesus is the ruling force. That Jesus is the ruling force. There, there could not have been a position in which that family would have felt any more hopeless and without recourse. None. That I, can, that I can think of as a dad to have watched one of your children experience this. No recourse. And yet, what we find here is that Jesus is still the ruling force. It's, it's irrelevant of how I feel about this in the situation. It's irrelevant at what dominance level something seems to be in your life. The, the real but they're not relevant to who is the force, the true ruling force. I know if you're facing something that um, sticks around um, for a long time, uh, it's temp we're tempted to ask, is he really the ruling force? I wanna believe that he's the ruling force, but my experience here in this moment is, He's not ruling. And my best answer to that is that your current experience isn't the final word. Amen. Faith rises 
when we do not let our current experience be the final word. In Colossians 2, 6 through 15, Paul says, So then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue your lives to live your lives in him. Continue. Don't, don't stop. The, the implication is there will be things that would try to stop. And Paul's exhorting us, don't stop. Be rooted and build up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world. Isn't interesting? The elemental spiritual forces. These small things rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. Don't, don't miss that. In Christ, we have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Amen. So if we're brought into fullness with Christ, then we stand in his position. Not as him, but that he has filled us with his spirit that we stand in that same position. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. What is this? Salvation. When, when, our, when we surrender ourselves to Christ and we ask for him to forgive us our sins and then we take him on as Lord, all right, that is this reference of circumcision and it's not something we can do or anybody can do for us. It's something that we do with him. Then it says your whole self, your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised with Christ. The other things that dictated your life no longer have rule and power because they've been buried with, with, with you and with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in, Christ, in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all our sins Having canceled the charge of legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And one of, one of the more powerful passages of Scripture in all of, all of the Bible, verse 15, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. What, 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 the, what the cross established was his rule. What was meant for and appeared to be a defeat was a victory. And then what we'll celebrate in a couple Sundays, his resurrection, then we're raised with him. So regardless of how things look, feel, or you experience, Jesus is the ruling force. He's the ruling force. And when we have Christ, then regardless of what seems to hang over our head, it's not true. You still are dealing with the impact of it, but we deal with the impact of it differently because we're not alone and we're in a place of authority and not in a place of subjection. And I'll just tell you that when, when I can learn that better, I live better. That I'm not in a place of subjection to things 
that I rule with Christ through these things. It, where, where, we get, where we get caught up is we want the elimination of those things. Me too. Me too. And sometimes God eliminates them. And other times, he pulls, up, pulls us up above them and we walk. We have to walk through them. I can't explain why God doesn't intervene in, in every long and hard situation. But I can tell you by experience that his presence matters in ways that aren't always measurable. Okay? The longer one has to wait for deliverance can impact the strength of their faith. It can. And this is what happens to the father. Okay, so let's look at the father's liberation of faith. So the father's exchange with Jesus, to me, is one of the more encouraging encounters uh, in the Gospels. Not because of the outcome. The outcome's a win, for sure. But I love the exchange. So the father brings his son to, to the disciples with full expectation something's going to happen. Something doesn't happen. So you can say that his faith hit rock bottom. Have you, have you been there in a place where your faith has hit rock bottom? Like you, give it, you gave it your best try, right? I mean, you, you, you played worship music 24-7, right? You read the Psalms from 1 through 150, right? You, you have put, you haven't let negative conversation come out of your mouth, but in private, you're wrecked, right? This, this, is, this is the dad, right? This avenue looked like it opens, and so he was, was, was faith-filled, and it seemingly closes hard. So Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, it's often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, you can hear the emotional plea, can't you, to, of the dad? But if you can do anything, like if you can just give us a week break, right? If you, if you can do anything, if you can lessen the severity, if you can do... And see, here's, here's what happens. When, we, when you get beat down by your circumstance so much, I don't know sometimes if I ask God for complete of anything. I'm just looking for a breather. Jesus latches on to that sentiment that he hears. If you can, if you can, are you, are you asking me if I can? Everything is possible for the one who believes. So Jesus is the ruling force. And regardless of how many times I've hit brick walls, I believe that verse of scripture. Everything is possible for the one who believes. And I would say that it's been somehow distorted by teachers and preachers and pastors to try to accommodate the settings where it doesn't seem like that happens by putting the onus then on, well, it's not God, it must be you. Because if you had more faith, then this, would, this wouldn't be. And all, all that I can see that is, is trying to protect bad theology. Or somehow to try to protect God from questions. We will have questions. You will have questions about God and how he operates and how he thinks to the day you say hello to God. <laughs> 
And if you believe that's going to be the opportunity for you to unpack all of your baggage with him, I will tell you that you will not be interested. <laughs> and all of your questions in those moments, they're going to seem so trivial and insignificant to the truth that he really is real and heaven is a real place. So, so this, this is what's so encouraging me about this passage because the dad's all in, man. I believe. I wouldn't have come here if I didn't believe. I wouldn't have brought him, brought him before your disciples if I didn't believe. I wouldn't have waited when I saw you to come if I didn't believe. I would have already packed this thing up and gone home. I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Which the way I simply state that is, I believe everything is possible with you. But with me, I'm having trouble getting myself over that doubt hump. So this is where we have a boy delivered, but here we have faith liberated. That faith is not the absence of heart, and it's not the absence of doubt. I've told you this for decades. Faith is movement. You can move with doubt, but you got to keep moving. Let doubt go for a faith ride, right? I, I, I love, there is, like you can hide anything from Jesus anyway, which we all believe we can. So, so he has an intimate understanding of, 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 of the turmoil. He has, a, he has an intimate understanding of your hesitancy. He has an intimate understanding that you don't want to get your hopes up. There's, a, there's an intimate understanding of that or there wouldn't be this face-to-face -face exchange because this is even what's happening today is you're having to have a face-to-face a -face exchange with the Spirit over this text because it doesn't mean anything if it's just a story or a narrative. It only means something if you can place yourself in here and have a face-to-face -face encounter with God. And that's why it's here. This is why Mark includes it. Can you, take, can you take that doubt for a ride? Because the only way doubt beats us is if you quit. Ground zero of your Christianity is faith. Faith is ground zero. The enemy always wants to ding your faith. Okay? So if you understand that, if you understand faith is always going to be the target, that's his target, your faith, because in your faith is what our relationship with him is wrapped up in. But if you understand your faith is a target, does that help you defend the target? Shouldn't that help you understand when the voices are, are raging in your head, when you're ready to throw in the proverbial towel, when you're wondering and disputing his goodness, 
If you recognize that your faith is the enemy's target, well, then I know what, I don't like to be, you, you know this about me, some of you do, right? I don't like to be sold. Right? I, I don't like it when, when someone's trying to sell me something. I can smell, and you, you could be a great salesperson, but if I can smell you, I will reject the product. If I can believe you're trying to help me, you win, I win, I'm good. So when, I, when, I, when I'm hearing these voices and I believe someone or something is trying to sell me on the, the minimization of God and his power, and, and sometimes we, don't, we won't say that as a believer, but what we actually act in is that our issue is, is, is what's ruling the day. It's, it's our issue that's above him. No, he's good. God's good. God's good and he's powerful. It's just in this instance, doesn't that sound silly to say it like that? But, but in this instance, this is, this is probably higher. No, Jesus is always the ruler. He's always the ruler. Um, all right. Um, why does doubt come? Doubt will always come when the gravity of the situation um, is high and the longevity of the situation is long. It's, it's just, it's gonna come, okay? It, it, but it's gonna come at, different levels and depths depending on your, your experience with God, your, your maturity with God. And I don't mean how, many, how much Bible verses you know. I'm talking about how much you've lived, lived some of that stuff out and how much of a track record you have. And then, then, then um, doubt will, will creep in uh, later in the game uh, or maybe and less forceful in the game. But I haven't yet met anybody that in private hasn't had some doubt. Okay? And so that's what should be liberating here because what the enemy will do is once he can plant those seeds of doubt and you let them grow a little bit, then he attacks your faith again. Well, you're not, you're not very much of a follower of Christ that you think you are. You know how disappointing that is to God? You know, and then you start, you start hearing those voices. I'm just telling you that the, the, he is very good at the game, the game he plays. Um, this is something Paul said in 2 Corinthians. He said, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and difficulties, for, I, for when I am weak, that I'm strong. There's the win, folks. Paul went to God three different times, probably more, right? Something that was causing him doubt, hardship, whatever, right? It's just like life would be so much better if I didn't have to muscle through this. Anybody have anything like that in your life? If you just didn't have that to muscle through, how much easier would life be, right? And, 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 and rationally, we can't understand why God wouldn't want to make life easier for us. And yet Paul comes to the conclusion of the matter. You know what? If this is going to keep me dependent on Christ, okay. This is going to keep me on my knees before him, okay. Because in fact... The strength of Christ in our lives cannot be exercised through our strength. 
The strength of Christ in our lives will be exercised through our weakness. This is where he becomes magnified. This is where he is glorified. And this is where you and I actually become gateways to people discovering the truth of Christ. Not in your perfect life, not in everything going the way you want it to go. It's going to be in when you are your weakest, where you should be your weakest and most depleted and most at your wit's end, and yet you walk in that in faith in Christ. And that's when people say, I, I need to know about that person. There's our real purpose, is to allow the strength of Christ to shine through our glaring weaknesses, our insecurities, our no answers to that issue, to be able to say, yep, I am, yes, I am still walking through this hardship. Yes, it's still here, and I'm still walking. Faith is movement. Don't let the enemy target that. Um, all right, I don't know if I put this. Did I put this up there? Okay. If I, if I did, I'll, I'll go ahead and share it. So God-dependent equals strong. Self-dependent equals weak. Abiding and overcoming strength will not be found in our own power, but in leaning into Christ's power. And then I'll say this, go ahead and bring your doubt along for the ride. Your faith has room for doubt. It just doesn't have room for quitting. Okay? All right, here's the last one real quick. The disciples challenged. So Jesus addresses the disciples to begin the narrative and to end the narrative. First, you unbelieving generation. How long, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? And then afterwards, um, this kind can come out only by prayer. You know, I've been taught as a leader that you never confront someone under your charge publicly. That you praise publicly and you, right, you leaders in the room know this, you praise publicly, you critique or correct um, privately. Jesus, however, did not read that page <laughs> in any leadership material presented at this point. And my best understanding of this would be he's very serious about what he's doing. And he's on a shot clock. Right? These are, these are serious situations that need his representation. And he knows he will not be there much longer. So there is no room, there's no room for our sensibilities our sensitivities, and that he had invested already enough time with them that they should know that he wasn't trying to show them up. He's trying to get to a bottom line. I, I wish we all could receive the challenges of Christ like that. With an understanding that there's a shot clock. Whether or not the end of time happens next week or our end of time happens next week. We're all on a shot clock. There's an estimation that even the most introverted of us will have influence over 10,000 people in our lifetime. Can we really afford to go through life as a follower of Christ so self-absorbed 
can, can we really afford to let whatever insecurities or doubt drive our interactions with other people? And so Jesus, he just, he just tell them, good grief, guys. How much longer do I need to be showing you this stuff? I mean, when he shows up, the demon immediately goes into, throws the boy into convulsions. I mean, that's power. Where, where does Christ get that power? You can say, come on up, team. You can say, well, of course he's God. Yes, he was God. But he also was physically, he was, he was limited. He was limited, self-limited as Christ. Why do you think he spent so much time alone in prayer with his father? Because he needed to. Now, that, that, might, mess, that might mess with some, some stuff in your head. But I'm telling you, I don't understand the incarnation. I don't understand where his God stopped and his human started, because I don't think there was a start and stop point. But I can tell you, if he felt like he could do it on, all on his own, there wouldn't have been that kind of time spent alone with his father. Amen. Okay? So now, now follow this. The disciples would have been sent out already two by two. They were to preach the kingdom of God. They were, they were, they were to preach repentance. They were to, to cast out demons and they were to heal the sick, all as a demonstration of the power and the reality of who they was preaching, okay? So they had done this. This wasn't new to them. I would think at some text, at some point, Oh, we got a dad over here with a boy demon possessed. Bring him on. We got this. We've done this before. Line him up. All right, here's how we did it last time. And nothing happens. So what's Jesus' confrontation? Boys, you can't go get one thing from the Father and think you can live the rest of your life living in his power. This kind, which insinuates, right? Not even insinuates, it's really, really bold. There is some stuff that we don't get to live through on reserves. There is stuff that you gotta have an ongoing, fresh relationship with Christ. And in doing so, these things come out by faith. Three parties of faith. There was a boy delivered there was a dad, his faith was liberated, that he didn't have to hide his doubt and his insecurity. He just had to keep moving. And there's disciples challenged. We can't live on yesterday's word or experience and believe that we can tackle our stuff or those in which God puts in our circle. There's a shot clock, folks. And there are people that need to find Jesus. And although I like thinking through that, I like the conversations with people, I like the intellectual barbs with that, I enjoy that kind of stuff. Scripture, the gospel comes with power. <laughs> there is something too. Kate, let's pray about that right now. Do you mind if I pray with you regard to this right now? Can I, tell you, can, you, can I tell you the story I had in something similar and how Christ ruled? These are the things that unlock people's hearts to find the true life they're longing for in Christ. And we are his disciples. 
hope that hit home. So in our response time, it has to hit in three areas, right? You, you may be walking through something that you would prefer delivered from and it has been a long it's been a long walk the boy was this way since childhood and i want to pray with you in faith believing that god would restore and redeem and change i can do that knowing that regardless of what he does and how he does it he has still encouraged us to to approach him in that manner in faith all right and so if you want to if there's something you need to be liberated from i want you to come on this side of the altar and pray when we're going to respond they're not as clean as sometimes when i do do these you go over here you go over here but you, you recognize, the other would be, did you recognize that you're carrying a load of doubt that, in your faith that you need to drop? You, you, would, you need to kind of hit the button and, 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 and let a lot of that go and you need kind of the confidence to keep plowing through, okay? And so I want you to come over here. So we just, we're just praying for your faith here, okay? Praying that your faith would rise, okay? All of from the standpoint of getting hit by... Jesus challenging us about staying in connection with him. This one I know we could all respond to, um, but I don't, I don't want you to just give a cursory response. Maybe this is a great time to receive communion. Maybe it's a time for you to, to grab a communion pack and spend a moment and, and, and settle in. Um, God has big things in store for you. And that's just not a pastor saying. He wants to use each of us in, in his power to redeem and release other people. He just does, okay? And there is no experience like it. And I can tell you that I, I enjoy the times I get to coach people in their faith. I enjoy times I get to pray with someone coming to Christ. But you know when I get the most joy as a pastor is when I hear that you've done that. <sighs> you have to turn me sideways and shove me through a door frame. Because that's your faith coming alive to the point of transaction with somebody else. And I don't doubt that God's had people in your life that need your fresh experience with him. Refreshing it today. So stand with me. Father, the life your son lived is unfathomable. The depth the depth of what he said, how he said it, what he did, who he did it with, have been mined for centuries and there's still stuff there. I pray that you would liberate someone's faith in the room today. And it's been a target of the enemy and you will give them liberation today. I, I pray that some that have walking through and have been walking through something for a long time, Lord, I would pray for deliverance today and for each of us Lord I'd pray that we would we would take your challenge we would we would hear your words and that we would respond to them and and renew our faith and keep it fresh before you so that there when the times come that no one would know or expect or could predict when you put someone in front of us that need life in Christ that we would have something to give them do that in this time today in your name we pray 
Amen. Amen. I invite you to move. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today.